Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Joining me via Zoom from California is my friend, Tony Fieldson. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you so much, Richard. It's great to be here again. Tony was on episode 359. If you want to scroll back and listen to Tony, Tony is um, somebody I've come to really admire and respect. He is a, a married father of two, active in the church, convert to the church. Um, I believe you teach in the public education system in California. I do. I teach Spanish and history at a junior high in Anaheim. In Anaheim. So um, you're on the front lines of helping people in a lot of ways. Um, I listened to a YouTube to that Tony put together a few months ago, and that's why we decided to do another podcast. I reached out to Tony and just felt that YouTube was so helpful that I wanted him to share that content in the podcast. We usually don't do two podcasts with the same person, um, but this was sort of my idea to get Tony back on. Um, will you and we're going to talk about that YouTube, and Tony's going to kind of go through that YouTube. We're also going to talk about a Facebook group that Tony has put together. It's called The Restoration Table, and I'll let Tony, why don't you introduce the YouTube without getting too much detail, just so our listeners kind of know where you're going, and also Restoration Table. Sure. So a couple months ago, uh, probably five months ago now, I started a YouTube channel called The Restoration Table. And the whole idea is to gather everybody together like you would at a potluck and have conversations about the restoration, about the church, and let people share their opinions and their experiences, whether they're active members of the church or people that have left. I think it's just great for us to understand each other better, even if we disagree, and try to unite under our common ground. So I've been releasing different videos about the church, different aspects that I love about the church. I've been trying to release videos that are kind of doing some bridge building where I can try to summarize what different people's viewpoints are about different aspects about the church, whether they're active members or former members. So I know we'll go over one of my videos specifically, which I titled 10 keys for responding to your loved one's questions or faith transition. And so I know we're going to go over some of that. And then in addition, I also created a Facebook group with the same title, the restoration table. And, um, Originally, I thought the YouTube channel was going to be more of my, my main thing. I was planning on releasing probably one video every two weeks, something like that. But I quickly realized that the Facebook group became a really big thing and an important thing that I wanted to invest my time in. So I'm actually investing a lot of time in that. And I'm only really able to come out with like one video every two months for the YouTube, uh, the YouTube channel. So um, I'm also going to talk about some of the things that we're trying to do in that Facebook group today. And um I kind of like to think of it as uh, like the difference between theory and practice. So in, in my in my YouTube videos and in the one we're going to talk about today, I kind of like to talk about some of the theory, some of the principles. And then in the Facebook group, we're actually trying to apply some of those theories and principles and trying to put them into practice as far as being able to share what we love, share our opinions, learn from each other and learn how to, I call it practicing the skills of Zion, being able to coexist in loving relationships with people that we might have major disagreements about, but nevertheless, those major disagreements don't have to get in the way, don't have to be barriers to us still being able to associate as brothers and sisters. Although sadly, in today's world, a lot of times that does happen, right? So, um, Listeners, I really like this kind of work. I think we hear conference talks and church lessons and read our scriptures, and there's great theory about we need to reduce divisiveness, we need to come together, we need to love. But then in reality, um, 
there's these dividing lines that are often very difficult. Um, people in different political parties, people in and out of the church. Um, there's just ways that we're different from each other. And I think it's, I love Elder Cook's talk where he talks about unity and diversity. It's, I think the low bar is unity and sameness. If I just surround myself with everybody that's just the same as me, that's it's easier to be unified. But I think the higher bar and where it brings me the most um, most sort of satisfaction in my life is finding common ground with people that are different and finding a way to move forward as the same human family and support and love each other in our differences. And to me, that's practice. I like the word that Tony's using. And so um, that's, you know, kind of what we're going to learn today. And some of you may have kids that are, you may be in the church, you may have kids out of the church, you uh, may be out of the church and you know, want to have better skills to for people in the church. You may um, wish, if you were out of the church, that we were kinder to you. And maybe some of the things that we share here will be helpful for um, Latter-day Saints to do a little better job with those that are no longer members of our faith. Um, I think our Heavenly Parents really care um, when we keep the commandments and pray and honor them. But I think one of the things they particularly care about is when we get along. As a father of six kids, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, I recognize all of our kids are different. Um, they're in different political parties right now and have different life experiences, different goals, different careers. And when we get around the table, they really get along well and they honor each other um, in their differences. And that, as parents, makes me happy. I have kids that are in my political party and kids that aren't. And the goal as a parent, I'm not trying to get all my kids to believe like I do politically, um, but to have meaningful conversations where we can just talk about how everybody feels. And my agenda is not to is to just you know create principles in our family where we can have meaningful conversations without anybody leaving feeling like their opinion is less important or their point of view is less important or they're stupid for believing the way that they do. So I'm. I better turn it over to Tony because he's the guest here, but let's go through, start with your YouTube. Well, thanks, Richard. I love your thoughts and I hope we can have a good dialogue uh, conversation here back and forth. But um, yeah, it reminds me of what you were saying about parents, you know, in the book of Moses, we learned the story of Enoch that the reason God was weeping because their children hate, hated each other. Right. And, and weren't able to get along kind, kind of going back to what you were saying. Um, so yeah, there, there's this really good book that came out called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Um, and it kind of goes back to, I think, probably just sets up what we're going to talk about here today. I think it's really important for us to get to a place where we realize that there are people who can be, there are equally intelligent and good-hearted people that can have just as many good reasons for believing what they believe, even if it's in opposition to what you believe. That, that's hard for people to sit with and realize, but... I think it's good if we can if we can get to that place. We might not agree with how they the conclusions they make, right? But um, so as far as the the YouTube video goes, you know, I, I read your brother's book, um, the Bridges book, and uh, <clears throat> it's just an incredible book. So 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 good. By the way, we're going to be having we're we're starting a book club in my Facebook group, the Restoration Table, and we're starting it in June. We're going to do one per month, and we're going to kick it off with the Bridges book. So if anybody Perfect. wants to join. Uh, and 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 have some conversations about that book. Uh, we we welcome everyone to to join. So, but in in his book, he the people that he surveyed, 
about 90% of the people that he surveyed said that they, they did want to remain in the church and they probably would have, um, but they just didn't feel like there was enough space for them. They, they didn't feel like their family or their friend or their ward or their stakes um, accepted them when they were authentic about their true opinions. So we'll, we'll circle back to that, but that kind of set up, that kind of set up the, the reason for why I made this video. Once again, the title of the video is 10 Keys for Responding to Your Loved One's Questions or Faith Transition. And like you also mentioned, um, you know, I'm sure there's, I know there's a lot of incredible Latter-day Saints out there who, when, when their, you know, family or friend says, you know, that they have severe questions or a faith transition, you know, faith crisis, or they've left the church. I know there's a lot of people who respond with a lot of understanding and empathy, and they really listen. But as we both know, there's a lot of people who, who don't. They, they don't respond in that way. And a lot of times it can really cause a big divide in between relationships. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to share, and honestly, a lot of these things that I shared were, were quotes from our modern prophets and apostles that I think to just get repeated more often. Um, so you could almost look at this video as kind of a, an abridgment of the, of the book Bridges. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a condensed version. It's a 37 minute video. Um, and so um, these, these are the things that I think are really gonna help you know, as we know, there are more and more people leaving the church nowadays, right? There are more and more people leaving religion in general in the West, right? Um, and so I, I think, you know, and there's been some great books that have come out lately also. Um, Patrick Mason's book called Restoration, uh, God's Call to a 21st Century. Terrell and Fiona Gibbons book also called, um, what is that one called? I forget what it's called right now. But they, they, they also talk about some of the, the modern situation, uh, situation that we're in. Um, an audio book that I just finished recently is also a good one. It's called The Next Mormons, Why Millennials Are Leaving the LDS Church. Um, I think there's just a lot of data that the church is aware of that um, there, are, there are a lot of people that are leaving in higher numbers today. Um, we know that our, our president, uh, our prophet, President Nelson, has made over like 25 different adjustments in the last four years um, that I think a lot of people feel have been very positive. Um, and I think the church is kind of aware of of the situation. And I think they're doing things to try to address it. Um, and I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to do a little bit of a better job at trying to listen and understand and hold space and grace for our family and friends who, who have questions or who have left the church. Um, I think by doing that, we're probably going to retain more people and less people are going to leave. And if they do leave, we're just going to do a better job at, at preserving and even deepening those relationships instead of having that big wedge that that comes in there. So that's kind of the setup and, and I can kind of give some of the highlights of, of, of my, my 10 principles in the video also. And listeners will link to the video so you can watch the video. Keep okay, sharing. Keep going, yeah. Tony. So principle number one that I share in the video is it's very important right off the bat that people understand the nature of modern challenges to faith and the church's efforts to respond to them. So I already kind of mentioned that there's many people that are leaving the church. I'm pretty sure if we we're in a state conference right now and I was speaking and I asked everybody, you know, raise your hand if you have a family or a friend who has left the church. Pretty much everybody would probably raise their hand, right? Um, and I wanna acknowledge and just, I wanna just validate that that can be a really hard thing if you're somebody who's still in the church, right? You can, you, you might think to yourself, wow, like I'm never gonna be able to be with this person in the celestial room ever again in this life. I mean, these are real painful things, right? You might worry about what's going to happen in the next life. Um, you know, I, I've heard of situations where people are maybe a little bit more reluctant to let 
this person babysit their kids in the future because I don't know like what kind of things that they're going to say or what kind of influence they're going to have. We, we know the church has is such a huge part of people's lives, and, right? And so when someone leaves, um, I mean, people really feel it. It's, it's not an easy transition to go through for the people that leave and the people that are still in. Um, at the same time, I think it's, I think it's really important for people to try to understand what it's like to, to go through that experience, to, to go through that transition. So um, that's principle number one is I think it's important just to understand the gravity of the situation, how many people are leaving. And I, I don't think everybody quite understands everything the church has done to try to respond to it. Maybe the majority have, but I think in general, people know, you know, there's the, the saints books that have come out, the gospel topics essays, the Joseph Smith, you know, history, um, and also a lot of really great quotes that that have been given from different apostles and prophets, especially from people like President Uchtdorf and President Ballard and Elder Holland and some other people that I think are important to consider. So that's, that's principle number one right there. Um, so principle number two, and feel free to, before I move on to the next principle, That's feel good. free to jump Go in. Ahead. Up, but, um, principle number two, I said, is uh, honor their questions. Um, it's really, really important for us to honor people's questions. Uh, and so here's a quote from President Nelson. He said, is it possible for us to listen openly to a shocking experience without going into a state of shock ourselves? Can we listen without interrupting and without making snap judgments that slam shut the door of dialogue? it can remain open with the soothing reassurance that we believe in them and understand their feelings. I think that's really important. Um, President Ballard said, I am concerned when I hear of sincere people asking honest questions and then being treated as though they were faithless. This is not the Lord's way. So another really great, great one. Um, from probably 50 or 60 years ago, Hubie Brown said, people should express their problems and opinions and be unafraid to think without fear of ill consequences. We must preserve freedom of the mind in the church and resist all efforts to suppress it. So to me, those are just like what I call money quotes. They're so good. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the last few years in the church, I think we're trying to foster more of a culture of that, but it, it depends on the family and the ward and the stake. Um, but I think there are still some people who, when they raise a question um, and they're not even trying to be critical, but just an honest question. Sometimes it's like there's crickets in the room or it's the elephant in the room that people don't want to address. And sometimes they, they feel like they're maybe treated a little bit differently or kind of given the cold shoulder a little bit later on, you know, by people. And, and we want to try to, um, I, I don't really know, wanna, I don't really want to dissect all the reasons for why that is maybe sometimes in our culture right now, but, but we want to try to improve that and get better at it. Right. Agreed. So, yep. So principle number three is um, kind of similar to principle number two, but it's the way I titled it was seek to understand, listen, and don't judge. Um, so, you know, there's this famous quote from President Uchtdorf, uh, and he said, you know, one might ask if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anyone leave? Sometimes we assume it's because they've been offended or lazy or sinful. It's not that simple, actually. In fact, there's not just one reason. He said that some of our dear members struggle for years with the question of whether they should separate themselves from the church. And so um, I think that's really important to remember as well. Sometimes I think people can jump to conclusions about why people leave or have questions. Um, and uh, I think it's just really important to, to listen to people like, like you've tried to model in this podcast, right? Really sit with them and listen and don't judge. And um, there's this great quote from Brene Brown, you know, the renowned psychologist. She said that isolation is worse, worse than being alone. It is the feeling of hopelessness that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection. 
And I just, I just can't even imagine. I mean, I know that I personally encountered some of my friends who, who came out to me and told me that they had gone through a faith crisis and they didn't bring it up with anyone. Um, I was the first person they told about it. They felt like they just couldn't talk to about it with, with anyone. And, and I can't even imagine what kind of, what kind of, what kind of just torture and pain that they were going through as they were feeling that isolation, right? So everybody needs somebody in their life that can be a listening ear, right? Um, and I've tried to do that. I'm not perfect at it, but um, something I did do a few years ago is uh, I had a friend who was actually one of my main fellowshippers when I got baptized. And um, he was actually kind of going down the rabbit hole, as they say, looking more into church history. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, I don't really want him to be alone. I'd like to be a sounding board for him. I'd like to listen. So I kind of went on that journey with him. And uh, I kind of realized, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of like, if you were to buy something on Amazon, right, you, you, if you don't know anything about what you're buying, you would probably look at the positive and the negative reviews first, right, before you look into something. So I kind of thought to myself, well, I haven't really looked into the full extent of what the criticisms are against the church. So I want to, I want to listen to my friend. I want to give him an, an opportunity to share with me what he's learning. So we kind of went down that rabbit hole together and I tried to become a little bit more aware of some of the, the critics arguments and not just dismiss them and say, Oh, they're really shallow, but really try to understand the full extent. And kind of like I talked with you about a few months ago, I know you and I both share something in common where we've gone through a few different, you know, many faith crises over different things. True. I, I did. I did kind of grow in my understanding and compassion, empathy for some of the criticisms that some people find to be very credible. Um, I personally don't believe that they those criticisms mean the church isn't true, but I can understand a little bit more where people are coming from. When um, so, anyway, I, I just think that being able to to sit with people and, and listen to them and not judge is a very important principle as well. So, I love that one and. You know, I love that quote from Elder Uchtdorf, and I've heard that quote before, but for some reason when you said um, it today, I thought of the word dear members. Elder Uchtdorf, I can somehow just imagine him in his office as he's wanting to make sure this quote is just perfect. And I I don't know this is true, but I, I wonder if he just added the word dear um, at some point in his revision because he wanted to let... Um, people know with honest questions how he felt about them. And he wanted to give them that title about how important they are to us and to him. Um, and even those that separate themselves from the church, how he feels about them and how we should feel about them. I've never thought about that word as much as I am right now, Tony. And just, I can just see Elder Uchtdorf. I don't know what the German version of the word dear is. Maybe mm -hmm. our German listeners can translate, but I just love that he added that word and, and, and what a message that is for us and how we should treat people. Definitely. I love it. So the next one, the next principle, principle number four of the 10 is if they are interested, point them to resources and support you think might be helpful. Um, so as you know, there are a lot of different books out there and, you know, communities, Facebook groups, just different things out there that cater to different people who, who are on different, just in different situations, right? So I think it's important to be aware of some of the things out there that can just help people help feel like they're not alone and help them to find some support and friends and help give them some ideas and resources that are important to consider while people are trying to continue on their different faith journeys, right? Um, and so 
However, um, most of these resources are things that people consume outside of a church setting, right? And so I kind of want to circle back to this in a moment when we talk about the Facebook group, but there's this really great quote from Patrick Mason that he gave in his book, uh, Planted Belief and Belonging in an Age of Doubt. And he said, are there any places within the institutional structure of the church where people can talk honestly about their questions and doubts? Or must they suffer in silence, move to the margins, or be relegated to finding their only sense of authenticity and community on the internet? When individuals sincerely want to stay in the church but can't see any place for themselves there and thus decide to leave, the body of Christ is weakened and we all lose. I just think that is an incredible, incredible point he's making that we need to seriously consider. Um, and I'd like to circle back to that a little bit later. Um, but with this principle that I mentioned about how you know we can point point out to our loved ones some resources that might help them. I just want to acknowledge that most of these resources are consumed by people outside of a church setting, whether they're listening to your podcast, for example, Richard, or in a Facebook group or, or whatever. And um, I think uh, the, the more we can get those kind of support groups going on at, at local levels, the better, which I'd, I'd love to talk about a little more later as well. So that is a great quote from Patrick Mason. I agree. So the next principle, number five, is embrace the potential for growth through these challenges. So I think a lot of people might be afraid if one of their loved ones leaves the church or has a faith crisis. Um, I know people that have personally told me that they don't really want to talk to them about what their issues are because they themselves are afraid of, of maybe having a faith crisis. And I know that's not the situation for everyone, but um, I, I just I've heard of so many people that have have left and they feel like, nobody even notices they're gone or nobody reaches out to them, right? Um, we have a family and in, in, that was in my ward five years ago and they left the church and they only had like one or two people ever reach out to them. Um, and I wasn't really the best at doing that, to be honest, when they left, but I feel like I've kind of um, learned a little bit more about the importance of this the last couple of years. So I reached out to them and I've been having some conversations with mom and dad and trying to build bridges and I can just tell they, they appreciate that. Um, and I don't think we need to be afraid we don't need to be afraid of, of stepping in there and, and walking this journey with people. Um, and uh, I, under, I understand maybe the reluctance, but I think it's important to try to em embrace, you know, look at it in that positive attitude. And, and there, there can be a lot of growth that can happen for, for you and for them when you walk this path with them, right? You can, you can grow in your relationship with them while you guys are learning these things together, right? And also, you know, nobody's perfect, so there might be some things that you need to unlearn. There might be some things that you were holding on to, and you might realize, oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, this I'm going to get rid of this notion. This is this isn't. I just think that it's a win-win situation. I don't think anything bad can come from it. So I just want to encourage people to be willing to to see it that way. Um, there's this great quote from President Oaks where he says that it's the nature of mortality that there be an opposition in all things. Given that fact, I think we need to be sensitive to the positions of those who don't agree with us, and we need to have a setting where different points of view can be worked out. Out of a respectful discussion can come improved policy. So, um, we're just going to improve. We're going to improve our lives. You know, it's just what's that phrase that talks about how uh, you know two two minds are greater than one or whatever. We, we need to just collaborate with one another and and, and not be so isolated, right? I love that. And I think of the parable, I think of um, the lost sheep. And I don't want to use the word lost to describe on someone that steps away from the church, but the principle that the shepherd knew the, the sheep, all of them well enough to know why one left and where he or she was and what the backstory was. 
Um, and I think that the principle of ministering um, back to the practice you're trying to teach, I remember home teaching someone in my ward who had been active, um, was inactive, and we went through the motions. I came and we kind of never talked about the elephant in the room, why he no longer attended church, even though he was a very active member at our ward. And I, with the skills now and the understanding, I would have asked him. I would have um, realized that generally he would like to tell me. He was going to not, out of respect, proactively tell me. But perhaps um, if I'd heard his story, it would have created an authentic connection, um, not necessarily yeah. as a desire to to bring him back, but just to see him as a son of God that is for some reason has made this decision and and just to connect with him on a more authentic way. Um, and then I think I become safer for him if he um, just wants to open up to me about whatever's going on in his life because yeah. he know I'm a safe person. I've been willing to have that conversation with him. And so I think when we went to sort of home teaching checklist, we opened the door to what you're sharing, Tony, is just to get to know people and be willing to hear their story. And if they've left, have the maturity to hear that story. I don't think that works for every Latter-day Saint. Not every Latter-day Saint needs to do that. Not every Latter-day Saint can handle all those stories. Some are pretty heavy. Yeah. So you have to find boundaries. But I think it's okay to understand yeah. a little bit of just why someone would step away from the church. Totally. Totally. So, so the next one is uh, remember that despite the divine inspiration prophets receive, they are still subject to human error. So um, I just think that's a really important one for everyone to, to, to remember. I think um, our, our, our doctrine around what is a prophet and what is revelation, I think um, sometimes people view that in too much of a black and white way. And, and I, think, I think it can um, possibly it might be able to prevent some, some faith crises in the future. Or, or if somebody does have a faith crisis, it can help their loved ones maybe have a little more empathy for them because they realize that, yeah, this is messy. Sometimes there's, there's mistakes that are made and, and you know, I, I, maybe can they can have a little more empathy for why people might struggle because, you know, um, we only have, our, the, the leaders that we have are, are human beings. They're, besides Jesus, right? None of them are... So there's a, there's a couple, once again, money quotes <laughs> that I love <laughs> under this one. The first one's from Terrell and Fiona Givens in The Crucible of Doubt. So they said, airbrushing our leaders, past or present, is both a wrenching of the scriptural record and a form of idolatry. It generates an inaccurate paradigm that creates false expectations and disappointment. God specifically said that he called weak vessels, so we wouldn't place our faith in their strength or power, but in God's. The prophetic mantle represents priesthood keys, not a level of holiness or infallibility. That is why our scripturally mandated duty to the prophets and apostles is not to idolize them, but to uphold them and sustain them by the prayer of faith. So. Expand on that, what that means to you. Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, a lot of times people have been set up for a faith crisis because they do expect everything that the prophets say or do to be perfectly from the mouth of God, right? Um, and I think that sometimes in our institutional church, we have probably uh, beat that drum and kind of taught like that. And, and um, I, I think more so in recent years, the leaders have been saying things like, hey, you know, like we, we make mistakes, but we're, we, we do our best to receive, you know, um, the mind and will of God. 
um, not, I don't know, there's, there's, you have a, uh, you have a wide variety of, of different apostles and prophets and what they say regarding that issue. But um, I think it's just important to have a healthy conception of, of, of what a prophet is and isn't and what revelation is and isn't. I think it's just important for, for, for people that are still in the church, trying to understand and empathize with their loved ones who are having questions or leaving. And I think it's, um, I think it's also kind of like an inoculation uh, for the future, right? Um, perhaps maybe, I know I've had people personally tell me this, um, that if they had a little bit more of a healthy and accurate paradigm of what a prophet was and wasn't in Revelation, that they probably might not have left the church um, because they, they might not have, you know, when they discovered different imperfections that happened, you know, perhaps around issues about polygamy or blacks in the priesthood, whatever, um, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have rocked them, their world as much. Um, so, uh, but obviously that doesn't work for everyone, but I just think it's a really, really uh, important paradigm uh, to operate under is, is a little bit more of this uh, nuanced idea of what a prophet is and isn't sort of kind of the black and white. So. Listeners, I really agree with what Tony shared and um, I love the, the Givens quote. And I think, I mean, my goal is to um, keep more people that want to stay in the church. Most people I meet with that are in a faith crisis, I ask them a question. I say, are you finding a way to, do you want to find a way to authentically stay in the church? Are you trying to find a way to leave? Yeah. And I asked it on Twitter a couple of years ago, and by far the majority are trying to find a way to authentically stay. Yeah. And so, Tony, I think as we frame up our prophets, if we... I, I hope everybody understood that, you know, perfect infallibility is one way to frame up our prophets. And another way to frame up our prophets and apostles and local leaders is they are called of God. Um, if you're male, you have priesthood keys or operating under priesthood keys, and you're giving this assignment um, as to lead. And our goal, our responsibility is support and sustain. And their role is to help us come into our heavenly parents and the Savior and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not to come into them. Um, it's not to, I don't think they particularly want us to worship them or uh, put this on this high pedestal. Maybe there's some exceptions once in a while, but then I think it's more sustainable um, to look at them that way. Because if you do become aware of things that they've said in the past and um, things that perhaps, you know, it just it kind of rocks your world and you haven't developed a framework to sort of process that. So I think that's more sustainable. And if um, that's the way I think um, local leaders and parents should be teaching about our leaders. To me, that doesn't diminish their prophetic mantle. It doesn't, it's not an attempt to lower them in any way. Um, that they still are prophets and apostles and have the priesthood and have um, or priesthood keys, um, and that gives them the responsibility to guide whatever stewardship responsibility they have over. Yeah. And so I just, I like that. I think it's sustainable. There's no history of, in any scripture account, of a perfect prophet or a perfect local leader. Right. Um, we've never had that. Um, and so yeah. I don't know, culturally, where we sort of feel like we moved in that direction a little bit. We haven't, we've never said our leaders are perfect, but Sometimes the ceremony and the it 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 creates a feeling of infallibility or it creates a feeling of uh, that I don't know if they really want us to feel about them that way. Right, I've heard some of them say that before that they 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 don't want they don't want 
the members to view them that way. And they sometimes feel like the members do view them that way um, too much. So I'm, I'm not saying it's a blame on the members. It's, it's, prob it's probably a little bit of both, right? Sometimes the members need to view it differently, but sometimes our leaders could maybe teach you a little bit differently, I think too. But what you just said kind of set up the next money quote I have here when you talked about how the scriptural record kind of bears witness as to what profits are too, right? This is a really great quote from Patrick Mason in Planted. Okay, and he said, um, even the Bible's exemplars are deeply and often tragically, we might say scandalously flawed. Adam and Eve fell, Noah gets drunk, Abraham lies, Sarah is jealous, Jacob deceives, Joseph deceives, Moses murders, Joshua and Saul commit genocide, David commits adultery, Jonah runs from God, Elisha summons bears to kill 42 children for calling him bald, and these are the good guys. After reading the Old Testament, we should not be particularly surprised that our modern-day Zion has snares, stumbling blocks, and offenses. I am and should be troubled anytime I see scandals in Zion, just as many of the events recorded in the Old Testament are deeply troubling to me. But Scripture reminds me not to be surprised by Zion's failings and to believe that God can redeem his people in spite of their many missteps. So I just really love that quote. I love that. That's great. So. I think that this this kind of uh, paradigm of profits that we've been talking about, I think it's really healthy for five reasons. Number one, it's in line with truth. Jesus was, was the only perfect human being that ever existed, right? Number two, it's, it's I think it's very healthy and healing for us to be transparent and and acknowledge human mistakes, right? And I think it's kind of damaging not to do so. Um, I also think that for many, like we talked about, their faith might not be as shaken when they discover errors. I'm not saying that'll work for, for everyone. Um, I also think that instead of the focus on being how holy these prophets are, our focus will be more correctly on how amazing God is that he can still do such amazing works, right? For such flawed human beings. And also I like to apply this to myself. If I have a paradigm of prophets like this, then I realize that God can maybe if he can do miracles through his imperfect prophets, then maybe there's hope he can do miracles through me as well, right? Love I'm that. also imperfect. So, um, so anyway, the, 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 the next principle on this list is it's important for us to be able to hold space for a diversity of belief within the body of Christ. I think that's one of the reasons why people tend to leave is they feel like they have some differing views or, and they feel like it's not part of the cookie cutter mold that they, they feel like needs to exist in a ward. So they feel like, they, they, they are not welcome anymore. Um, and I think it's important to remember that there is, there is more flexibility, I think, than we realize. For example, um, the church does not have any efficient, official position right now on like what the cause of homosexuality is, the age of the earth, evolution, caffeine, whether polygamy will be practiced in the next life, eternal progression between kingdoms, what exactly members are to pay their tithing on, um, how figurative or allegorical many Bible stories are meant to be taken. You know, there's just a few examples of there's a lot more flexibility. Um, and I think it's really sad what happens sometimes. Um, one of my close friends, um, she's currently not attending. She said that she, um, she still shares so much common ground with the church and its members. And she said that if she felt like she was still wanted and accepted as is and not seen as struggling, that she would really consider still attending. And I think that's an important thing to consider. I'm sure there's a lot of people in her shoes, right? Um, Will you repeat that if you can, Tony? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, a friend of mine who is currently not attending, she said that she still shares so much common ground with the church and its members, and she felt like if she was wanted, accepted as is, and not seen as struggling, she would really consider still attending. Wow. Yep. 
What an insight into a wonderful woman. Yeah. So I, I think there is a little bit more flexibility, um, in, in, you know, that we can work with. Um, one example of that is President Oaks in the 2018 B1 celebration, which honored the 40 years since the lifting of the priesthood and temple ban for blacks. Um, he, he said this, he said, I observed the pain and frustration experienced by those who suffered these restrictions and those who criticized them and sought for reasons. And then he said, I studied the reasons then being given and could not feel confirmation of the truth of any of them. Um, so, I mean, right there, he's basically saying that the, the reasons that the prophets and apostles have been giving for many years for why the, the blacks couldn't have the priesthood um, or going to the temple, he, he basically said that his confirmation of the Holy Ghost disagreed with that. He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't agree with it. Um, and I think people might sometimes are a little bit afraid sometimes to, um, I, I think sometimes we feel like we need to accept everything that the brethren say and that we're not allowed to disagree or not, you know, and I think he, he shows a good example right there of how it, it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. Now, what do we do if we don't agree? That's up to people. Um, me personally, I'm not an activist. I know some people want to take the activism um, other people like to have more quiet one-on-one -on -one conversations with people maybe or write a letter to church headquarters and they want to maybe voice their opinions and maybe make change, you know, line up online. Everybody has a different style. Um, I think maybe possibly there might be a place for both those types of styles, but re regardless, um, I, I think it's important for us to, to open up a little more flexibility and, and space for people to, to, to have free, free, you know, freedom of speech. We believe in we believe in freedom of speech, right, in this country, and I just think we need to open up more flexibility for that in the church. I think it's uh, it would be very healthy. And my friend of mine, who said what what I said a moment ago, I think she would probably feel a little bit more accepted in her ward and feel like maybe coming back to church if people still treated her as though she was still in full fellowship, a full member of the body of the of Christ, despite maybe some of her differing viewpoints, right? So. I think that's really helpful. And a thought that comes to mind on a practice level is just, you know, we, each of us needs to learn in our comments, our church talks, our comments in church to say kind things about people we don't usually say kind things about at church. Because um, then this, I'm thinking of this woman you just quoted, if she's sitting in church and maybe hasn't opened up to anybody about how she feels, if she hears a narrative that sort of talks about people um, having doubt or weakness or sign of the last days or the tears, that doesn't give her a feeling of safety. But if she talks, here's people talk about wonderful, our dear members with honest questions and how much we need them. I can just tell Elder Uchtdorf talking about somebody like this, you know, developing a culture if he were a local um, Sunday school teacher, bishop, where you'd feel safe in Elder Uchtdorf's ward um, and because of the kind of things he would say that create a feeling that I'm welcome here. Yeah. Um, and so I think totally. we can all do that, um, but it takes us sort of recognizing there's people within our comments that need to hear us sort of signal to everybody that we want you here. Yeah. Amen to that. So the next one is it's really important for us to identify and celebrate the values that we still share with them, right? Um, focusing on the positive. There might be some differences that we have with our loved ones that we're not going to get rid of, right? We can't, we have to honor their agency, right? We can't decide whether or not they 
come back to the church or we can't decide whether or not they resolve their 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 doubts and and rebuild their faith you know but we can identify and celebrate the the things the values we still share with them right for example i'm guessing most people whether or not they're in or out of the church believe that family relationships are important right they believe in things like kindness education hard work fidelity compassion forgiveness you know humility humanitarian service and fun wholesome recreational activities <laughs> right so um i just think it's really important to to focus on that and um, not just dwell on our differences right so love that yeah um so the next one two last ones is to trust in god and trust in their journey right um so there's a really good quote from one of my one of my good friends who's uh who, who left the church a couple years ago anthony miller and he said the church teaches that God works in the lives of the 99.9% of his children on earth who are not members of the church. So you can trust that he will still participate in the lives of those who have experienced a change of faith about the church. Um, and I think that's just a really good reminder for people to, to consider and remember, right? Um, it's just, everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. We don't need to worry about that, that kind of stuff. We don't need to be, because I know there's a lot of people who, who, leave, who have, many nights that they lose sleep over, over worrying about is my, you know, my family or my friend that just left the church, is their life going to go to shambles? Are their kids going to all end up in jail? Or I'm not saying everyone thinks like this. I'm just, or, you know, am I going to, are we going to be together in the next life? And I just think God's going to work it all out. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could still preserve our relationship with them and still even deepen our relationship with them and enjoy, enjoy a lot of wonderful moments in this life with them. It might not be exactly like we had wished, but there's, there's, there's ways to still, to still make that happen. I think so. Um, great quote, my friend, Anthony Miller, if you're listening. Um, and I think if, I think, um, Tony, that we Latter-day Saints that are in the church, understanding the plan of salvation, we have, I think the 40,000 foot view, if we really own our doctrine to be the kindest to people, that fill their path is never to join our church or to step away from the church because we just, I think if we go to the 40,000 foot level of our plan of salvation, loving heavenly parents that love all of their children that have a personal relationship with them, then, um, and the reason we're here on earth life is agency and have this mortal experience. And we can just sort of turn that over to our heavenly parents and the savior. And our job is just to do what you're doing is to come together as the same human family. Totally. And to not sort of determine right now where someone's station is going to be in the next life based on where they are right now. Right. That's a mentally exhausting um, road anyway, because it keeps yeah. us from loving and supporting and being interested in their lives. If we just, maybe you're going to get to this. If our, if we just look at people that have left the church and that's the first thing that comes to our mind about them and how we see them, I think we miss seeing all their contributions. We miss seeing their careers, their education, the other ways they're serving, their hearts. Yeah. And um, I think it is an impediment for us to come together. Uh, I totally agree. So right now we're, we're kind of transitioning. We've been talking about the principles and the theory of it. And in a moment, we'll, We'll talk about some of the practice, just to summarize that for a few minutes. But um, the last principle is to love them unconditionally, right? So President Ballard said, if I have family or friends who are less active, how far do I go in my attempts to bring them back? My answer is, please do not preach to them. Your family 
members or friends already know the church's teachings. They don't need another lecture. What they need, what we all need, is love and understanding, not judging. Um, and so, you know, he talked about how we can share our positive experiences in loving the gospel and be genuinely interested in their lives, their successes, their challenges, always be warm, gentle, loving, and kind. Um, so that's a great one. I know that last time when I was on your podcast, you told me about a, a lady who left the church, uh, but her ward threw her a party to let her know how thankful they were for her and how much they still wanted her to be a part of their life. That, now that is lo Christ-like love in action. If I've never seen an example of that before, that's just incredible. Um, talking about, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, LDS families where the parents um, have really conveyed to their children that they love them unconditionally. But I know there's, I know I've talked to some people who feel like their parents' love is a little bit more of a conditional love that it's kind of a more of a performance-based love based on what their, the, the, the decisions their children make, uh, if, if they're in line with what their parents want for them. And um, I just really think that's really important for our mental and emotional health to be able to communicate to our children um, that we have an unconditional love for them. Um, I just think it's really important. So. I think it is. And just in clarification, it wasn't like an official ward party. Um, okay. But it was um, many sisters in the ward that got together and um, just felt to thank this sister, I believe, for all her service. She had given a lot of service in that ward. And um, I, I don't know if there's a parallel to having, and I, this probably is a bad parallel, but just, you know, we give, we thank people for um, their job when they leave employment. And when right. they, and we recognize their contributions and we wish them the best going forward. And even if they're going to a competing employer, we generally do that. I, this is maybe listeners a bad analogy, but um, you may poke some holes in it as I'm thinking out loud. But I think the principle is, you know, wishing people the best. Um, it was Julie, Dr. Julie Diazavado Hanks that first took, put me on this idea, Tony, of of thanking people for all the work that they've done in the church if they feel their path is to leave the church. And it really resonated with me. Now, someone who's never sort of been active, that's different. But some of the people we both know that have given decades and decades, served missions, paid tithing, um, I think we ease their pain a little bit if we thank them for all the work that they've done. Instead of pointing to them um, in a negative way, just thank them for what they've done and honor their path going forward. I've always wondered how we can help decrease the anger that some feel um, when they leave the church. And anger is usually a secondary emotion to pain, but, you know, we can help as active Latter-day Saints decrease the pain they feel by the love we show to them and the support um, and just honor their journey. And that maybe makes them less likely to be really angry former Mormons that want everybody else to leave the church with them. Yeah. Um, we did a and maybe this is getting into practice, so I'll turn it back to you. Well, it's fine. No, I totally agree with you. I think that's a great idea. Um, just the last little bit about loving them unconditionally. These were suggestions your brother put in his book, Bridges. But we want to communicate to them when we're talking with them things like, you know, I understand you have different beliefs and it won't change our friendship. I will do my best to understand your perspective and your feelings. I promise to keep this conversation confidential. I will just listen. I won't preach, give advice, or tell you that you are wrong. Even if you hold different beliefs than I do, I know you are a good person and I love you. Statements like that, that's kind of overall 
vibe, the, the feeling of, of when we communicate with people, we want them to reassure them that we we feel those things about them, right? So, and that's um, a statement a local leader, a parent could say in a lesson or over the pulpit, just not to invite people to leave, but just say, if you're having questions about the church, this is this just so you know, if you. So if I'm a bishop or Relief Society president or young men's president or in some local leadership, I'm thinking out loud here, Tony, but I could say that. I could say, you know, if you're feeling like you need to ask questions and wondering if I'm a safe person, because it's hard to figure that out often, this is how I'll respond if you feel impressed to open up to me about anything. And put that in an email blast out to your home quorum or your or do it in testimony meeting if you're a local if you're a bishop or you know just act on what you just read and how you can apply that in your life, not necessarily people leave, but just people that have questions so they know you're safe because they know ahead of time how you're going to respond to them. Yeah, I think that would be great. And I've heard of situations where people do that and it goes over really well, and I've heard of situations where people try to do that and they don't feel like it goes over really well. I don't really know all the details in each situation, but um, but I really like that idea. And I've thought of, of doing something like that maybe soon in my ward. But so transitioning over to practice, you know, that, that was kind of the summary of my video, those 10 principles. Um, and um, so as far as practice goes, you know, so we've had this Facebook group now for the last four months. And um, it's called the Restoration Table once again. And... Um, I, I noticed I went back and listened to some of your uh, first few episodes and you were talking about this concept of table fellowship and, you know, Jesus being homeless. That's, that's kind of how he spread the gospel was in just simple ways. Right. He's like, Hey, uh, dinner, at, dinner at your house tonight, you know, and uh, inviting himself to dinner. And it really is a powerful way gathering together at a table and, and sharing some of your favorite foods and having a conversation. It, it really is an incredible way to build bridges and it's an incredible way to soften hearts and deepen relationships. So um, that's the whole concept of the YouTube channel and the Facebook group. And in the YouTube channel, I try to outline some of the principles uh, for how to do that. And we're trying to practice it in the Facebook group right now. And um, so, and I understand that was the original title for your, your podcast, right? was let's have a conversation. Good memory. Um, Tony listeners went back and listened to some of these early episodes where we named it, listen, learn, and love. And, um, that is correct. That's good. Great insight. Well, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with this with this Facebook group as well. And so, um, you know, I, I've tried to reach out to a lot of different types of people out there, um, and, you know, active members of the church, people on the um, LGBTQ spectrum, um, you know, people who have left the church. And it's been really neat been able to meet a lot of really cool people and bring them into the group. We try to get had an admin team that represents that diversity. So we have people on the admin team that are active members, people in the middle, people who have left, people that are LGBTQ, um, and um, you know people that um, are disabled um, in, in one way or another, people of color. Um, we're, and we're trying to con- continue to add even more diversity to to the admin team. Um, we have people that are therapists. We actually have a lot of people that are either like therapists or life coaches or teachers or psychologists on the admin team, like more than half of us. Um, so, you know, what, some of the things that we're trying to do, some of the, some of the goals of the group, some of the purposes is we want to learn how to love people that have different and opposing views than us. Right. And we want to learn how to disagree in a civil way, in a respectful way. We want to learn how to communicate with humility and compassion. Um, we're also interested in, 
unlearning things and maybe discovering some of our blind spots, right? We're also interested in uniting under our common ground that we have. Um, and uh, so, you know, as you know, online, online dialogue can be a little bit hard, right? Um, and so there's a lot of people in there who don't know each other. Um, there's some strong personalities and sometimes there's been contention and um, it's a little bit hard sometimes as an admin team to try to figure out how to deal with all that perfectly. So we've made mistakes along the way. There've been some growing pains, but kind of through that experimentation, you know, trial and error phase, um, we've learned a lot. And there's been a lot of really great things that have happened in the group. Um, and uh, I'll just give you a couple of highlights of some of the, some of the successes that we've had in the group. Some of the, some of the results of some of the, the bridge building efforts we've been trying to do. So um, one of them is one of our admin um, is with one of the apologetic organizations that tries to defend the church. And this admin, originally, they were getting criticized a lot online by ex-Mormons. They were just <clears throat> really, really criticizing this person. But um, this admin is super awesome. They're very uh, articulate, intelligent. They're also just very empathetic and compassionate uh, person. And so a lot of the former members of the church that are in this group, they've seen that this admin has interacted in really wonderful ways. And actually they've totally changed their view now. And they're totally, they're going on these social media sites. And when people are criticizing this admin, they're totally having their back. That's cool. And, and uh, they're even, some of them are even asking some questions and, 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 you know, just about the church. I don't think they're necessarily like reinvestigating or anything, but there's just been this bridge that's opened up. That's, so that's been cool. Kind of cool. Um, I also know that there's some other active members of the church that have told me that they, they really have opened up to more understanding and compassion for, for um, why people struggle with certain things or, or um, why people leave or, you know, people in marginalized groups. Um, they've just been, their eyes have been opened up to some of that more. Um, I actually had one of my friends who was in the singles ward and I invited him to the group. And initially he was a little bit reluctant. He was kind of like, oh, this is like, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable here. I mean, um, the group is obviously not for everybody, right? Um, we are we are letting people talk about what their opinion is and what their experiences are, um, whether it's positive or negative. So um, we're letting people share positive, wonderful things about the restoration that they love, faith-promoting things. But we also want to hold space for people who view things differently. So that we let people share reasons why they don't believe or things that were hard for them. But we do not allow people to prescribe their opinions on others. Um, so it's not like somebody's trying to, we're, we're not letting people, it's not a debate. We're not trying to convince someone that they're right. We're not trying to proselytize people to join the church. People who have left are not trying to convince people to leave the church or tear down their faith. But we, you do need to be able to stretch outside of your comfort zone a little bit, at least to be able to be in the group, right? It's not a completely comfortable space. So my friend who, when he originally joined the, the, the group, he was a little reluctant. He's like, oh, I don't know about this, but um, he, you know, just stretched a little bit and grew in his capacity to hold space for some of these different perspectives. And after a month or two, he called me and he's like, Tony, thank you so much. Like, I love this group. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really have, my heart has grown. Like, for example, he didn't know before that some general conference messages were sometimes triggering to certain people. And, and he didn't even know that before. He might not agree with the, the way that people interpret that, but now he at least holds, he holds more space for the fact that there's certain messages that can be triggering for people that, that hurt them or they disagree with. Right. Um, and I think, honestly, I feel like this group is kind of like a training ground for people, right? Because in the future, I mean, especially if you're an active member of the church in the future, you're going to have 
investigators or your own children that are going to ask you tough questions, right? Or you're going to have people in your life that are going to leave the church. And, and how are you going to be able to still maintain that relationship with them? How are you going to be able to truly try to understand them? Well, we're kind of practicing that right now, right? We're, we're, we're practicing trying to understand different perspectives. And, and I think that can only help us to take those lessons that we've learned and come back and apply it with our family and friends, apply it with the people in our wards and our stakes, right? So um, so that's some of the stuff. Um, I've also heard from the former members of the church in our group. I think we have about 40 to 50% of the people in our group are former members of the church. Um, and by the way, we have we have about 420 members right now. Um, we're growing by about 15 to 20 men- members per week. Um, and it's been a very active group. Um, sometimes this group has more posts and comments than, than some other groups that have like a, a lot, a lot of members. So um, it's been, it's been fun. There's been a lot of engagement. Um, it's a little bit hard sometimes to, you know, to keep up with everything. But um, so for the people who have left the church, some of the things they've told me is um, they, they appreciate that there are active members in the church that, that love them and, and validate some of the things that they go through um, and maybe even offer some answers to questions that they've had. Um, I, I've also had people who have left the church who told me that, you know, when they were in the church, they kind of had a black and white way of looking at things. And um, they appreciate being able to see in, in the group some active members of the church who have some different nuance type, you know, views or, or ways of looking at things. Um, um, I've also had people tell me that, you know, they, they don't really, because honestly, this is one of the, the reasons why I wanted to create this group is I kind of saw a void out there. There were all these echo chambers out there of Facebook groups or spaces where it's all active members of the church, just reinforcing what they all believe or, or all former members of the church, right? Um, and so unfortunately, you know, when people leave the church, a lot of times, not only do they feel like they're not welcome, maybe in their ward or, or they're not really allowed to, um, talk with their family or friends about certain things. A lot of times they're, they're not able to be in certain Facebook groups anymore either. And so their only option left is to be in groups where there's just only former members of the church. And I think they do appreciate that to a certain degree because they are allowed to fully be honest and vent but I've had multiple former members of the church tell me that they appreciate being in this group because um, they are still able to share what their criticisms are and concerns. But um, sometimes they feel like those ex-Mormon spaces can be maybe a little bit too full of, you know, angry type, an angry type vibe. And um, I don't judge anybody who feels like that. Um, I, I think that we all need to go through kind of an anger phase when we're processing grief, right? Um, but anyway, so a, a lot of them have, have said that they kind of like the group because it kind of helps them to remember a little bit um, some of the good in the church, right? Or maybe see some, learn about something new that they hadn't considered before. That's a, a gem of the restoration, as I call it. So, you know, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, there's been um, there's been a lot of really cool opportunities for everybody on both sides to, to uh, benefit from being able to fellowship from people who are on the other end of the spectrum from them. So I have a little bit more I want to share, but I could pause there for a second. Uh, that's really good, Tony, and I do recognize how unique this group is. And you were used the word common ground that, um, I mean, my belief of the common ground of everybody in that book is back to the 40,000-foot view of the plan of salvation, that we were all spirit brothers and sisters in the pre-mortal life and voted for the same plan, and we all agreed to come here, and we're all kind of in the same boat. I don't look at people in or out of the church at a different boat. That kind of language, you know, references a couple church talks. So I want to be careful there. But 
at the end of the day, we're all the same human family with the same human, the same heavenly parents. Um, some may not have faith in God at this point, but that's my belief, and that is the common ground that should bring us together. Um, I love um, the healing. That's I wrote down the word healing as you were talking, that there's probably healing going on in your group um, from the pain that some feel that have left the church, that this group is actually helping heal them in a way that is really helpful to them because of the interaction, perhaps the healing, not for everybody, but some comes from traditional believing members that honor them and support them and don't point to them and say, you're the reason, you're the the fulfillment of all the prophecies or whatever right. um, things we can do that sort of, you know, add to their pain and, and to have people like you and others in their life that can honor them and see their contributions and their goodness. And I yeah. think that can be really healing. Um, another word, another scripture that came to mind is perfect love casteth out fear. And this has certainly been a journey for me, listeners, as I've you know, as I've gotten out of my echo chamber of my own political party, my own religion, my own race, my own, you know, getting connected with LGBTQ people, people that are outside of my natural circle, um, my my heart has just grown. And concurrent with that, the amount of fear I have in my life has gone way down. Yeah. And I worry that these echo chambers, why they create a lot of connection, create equal amount of fear. I don't watch any news these days on the TV because um, I just go to online print media in the middle and try to get fact-based um, um, fact information without sort of the narrative of how bad the other side is. Yeah, um, That can be really connecting for some people, but for me that in the long term actually adds to fear. And um, I re I'll read a quote by Brene Brown. Common enemy intimacy is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond we share is simply we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, gratifying, and an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. It's not, however, fuel for real connection. And so I think what you're doing in the group and really what the gospel of Jesus Christ is real authentic connection. And as we connect with people that are different than us, um, for me anyway, my heart continues to grow and my level of fear continues to decline. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe that the second coming of Christ has happened and there's things in the world that trouble me. That's not mean that, but I just, I sleep better at night and I have less fear. And I'm really grateful for that part of my personal journey as I've learned this sort of world a little bit more than I did 10 years ago. I love that. <clears throat> I love what you said. Um, and uh, I love that quote from Brene Brown. And uh, that's what really this is all about. It, it really does bother me when I see in the political sphere and religious spheres, like Republicans are all bad. Democrats are all bad. Active members of the church are all bad. People who leave the church are all bad. It's like, no, let's, let's, this is such a black and white. It's just a way of thinking, right? We need to, we need to be able to uh, delineate the difference between what we disagree with and then realize there's still a lot of good and there's still a lot of common ground that we have. We need to be able to parse that out. It's just, it's so important. And you, you mentioned the word healing. Um, and I agree that a lot of the former members of the church in the group are feeling healing. I, I also hope, and I, I believe um, that there has been a certain amount of healing that active members of the church have experienced 
as well. Um, Cause I know that active members of the church, uh, pretty much all of them probably in the group have family or friends who have left. And I know that um, they probably don't always feel like they understand their family members and friends who have left and don't necessarily feel like that relationship has had healing. And I hope that through being in this group, they can see other people who have left the church that might be kind of similar to their family or friend who's left. And by building bridges with them and understanding a little bit more and stepping into their shoes, they might be able to feel some healing and, and feel like, okay, yeah, now I do maybe understand a little bit more where my family or friend is coming from. And I'm going to reach out to them and, 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 and try to heal that relationship, you know? So I, I really hope that the healing can go both ways. Um, so uh, as far as I wanted to share some of the best bridge building posts that we've had so far. Okay. So um, we've had a lot of really great bridge building posts just to give you a little flavor. Um, somebody once posted about the term holy envy. I'm, I'm sure you probably heard that term, but holy envy is when we can admit that there's something else in another religion that we really appreciate and, 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 and honor. They call it holy envy. So somebody posted one time, you know, active members of the church, what is some holy envy you have for people who have left the church and people who have left the church? What is some holy envy that you have for active members of the church? Anyway, that was just a great exercise we participated in. Um, somebody else posted something one time and they said, I want each of you guys to tell me um, who is who is one of your favorite active members of the church in this group or in the Mormon world? Who is one of your favorite kind of more nuanced, middle, middle way Mormon type person that you know? And who is one of your favorite former members of the church that you really just admire as a person? That was kind of neat. That's a great um, somebody one. Else, yeah. Somebody else posted one time. They're like, you know, what, what are some myths that other people believe about you that you'd like for them to overcome, right? Um, uh, another one was, uh, I asked this question one time. I said, hey, you know, active members of the church, can you, can you share with us? Why do you still believe or why do you still remain active in the church despite maybe some of the criticisms you've encountered or challenges you've encountered? That was a really neat one to have people share. Um, somebody also asked one time, you know, if you have left the church, what do you miss about participating? Um, if you are active in the church, do you see any advantages to, to not participating? You know, just different questions like that where you can get people on both sides uh, to, to share. And it's been really cool. Like, really, really cool stuff has happened because of posts like that. So, I love that. I love yeah. those questions and I love the way they breed more understanding and bring us together. Yeah. So the, I just wanted to mention one last thing kind of to wrap, wrap this up. Um, you know, in the, in the Facebook group, I, I kind of like to think of, uh, you know, the dialogue that we're having and the things we're trying to accomplish. I, I kind of think about them in two different levels. So level one is trying to figure out how to really bring, build bridges and bring the walls down and understand each other in a Facebook group, which is hard to do, right? That's level one. I mean, we don't know each other. Most people don't know each other. And we're just talking in like texts back and forth about religion, number one, and other things like sexuality, other things, just very, very personal things. So it's not an easy thing to try to accomplish that. And not only that, but we have people in there that have very, very starkly opposing views about some of these things, right? So some people look at that and they're like, oh, that's impossible. Well, um, sometimes it does seem impossible. And sometimes I wonder, oh, this is too stressful. This is even worth it. But um, thankful we have a lot of awesome admin and a lot of awesome people in the group. You do. That are continuing to breathe more, uh, more um, oxygen and fire into the group. But um, I think we're getting to a point where we're learning how to 
speak to each other in better bridge building ways. So I consider that to be level one. Level two though, and um, we're gonna be starting some initiatives in our group um, ASAP that I think are gonna take it more to level two. And what I mean by level two is trying to do things that help us to get to know each other better and help us to unite together to actually do something and take action to bless people's lives. So it's beyond just talking about the theory and the principles, like I mentioned that YouTube video, it's beyond just having people share, you know, their opinions about different things, but, but trying to get to know each other better and, and, and doing things together. So some of the initiatives we're going to do, one of them, I think I mentioned at the beginning is we have a book club that we're going to start in June. We're going to be reading bridges together from your brother and talking about it. There'll be one post every week where we, you know, share a highlight or a quote from the book and ask a question to spark discussion. And so if anybody wants to come join for that, it's going to be really cool. We're going to have different books each month. So that's one thing. Um, another thing that we want to do is we want to sponsor a different charity each month. And what I mean by that is, so we already had one of the admin make a post and we want to ask people in the group, Hey, what are different charities or organizations that you are really passionate about? And we're going to accumulate a list and we're going to focus on one each month. And what we're going to do is each month we're going to allow different people in the group that care about that charity. We're going to let them make a post in the group to educate us more about what that charity is all about. Maybe share stories from people that have been, you know, served in, in that charity. Um, and we want to encourage people to donate during that month. Maybe they can dedicate an extra fast if they want to, they can donate. If they don't have the resources to donate, they can try to find something of, that they can do. That's like a service project um, in their local community or just, ministering one-on-one -on -one to an individual that maybe might be in that that category or that group that that charity serves. So that's kind of what I mean about trying to take action together. So we will have people in that group that are completely different from each other, right? But they can unite together and they can they can help out with, with that cause, right? Um, so that's another idea that we're going to be starting. Um, something else that we're going to do is we're going to let members go live in the group. So we're going to give them access to be able to go live. And that way we can have them share their story, plug any resources or projects that they're that they're into. Um, and um, that way we can actually see their face. And when we interact with them in the future in the group, we'll have, you know, we feel like we know them a little bit more and maybe we'll have better bridge building conversations with them in the future, right? Um, so that's that. We also want to host some Zoom chats in the group so people can get together and get to know each other and talk about different things. We're going to have Zoom chats. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, um, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Patrick Mason's quote about, you know, if people can find their only sense of uh, authenticity on the internet and authenticity and community on the internet, then we, there's kind of a problem there, right? What I want to do is I want to put together some materials to train people in the group to learn how to approach their male and female ward and stake leaders to talk Good. to them about maybe getting some kind of support group going or whatever, whatever they feel like, you know, if they pray about it, receive revelation, whatever they would be willing to do to try to minister to people in their wards and stakes, right? Because I honestly think there are two groups of people in every ward and stake right now that are severely being under, uh, underserved, at least in the average ward or stake, right? Um, we know that the church has, they have programs that they've initiated to help uh, people, which are incredible, right? Family services, right? Uh, um, you know, employment services, uh, self-reliance, addiction recovery, so many wonderful things. And I, I'm not saying that I think the church should come out with church-wide programs for these people, but the people I'm talking about is people who have a faith crisis, right? They're going through a faith crisis or they're feeling like on, on the margins. 
or LGBTQ people and their families. And I, and I can guarantee you, in pretty much every stake throughout the, the church, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of people that are in those categories. And right now, most of them probably feel like they need to be quiet about it. There's not enough people who would understand or love them or not judge them. And a lot of those are the types of people who end up leaving. Um, and like your brother said in his book, 90% of those people probably would stay if they felt like there was space for them there and enough people that would listen and not judge. So um, I know that there are certain stakes that have kind of taken the initiative and done their own grassroots things. For example, I know you've had multiple podcast episodes about the Long Beach East Stakes. Shout out to them. That's actually the stake I was baptized into 14 years ago, the Long Beach East Stake. And I know several of the people that you or have worked with, and I know you visited their state conference. Um, so I know that they have an ally night every month. They also have a group for LGBTQ people each month, an FHE group. Um, every stake decides to do it differently. You know, they might have a speaker come in, a fireside, or they might have support groups, whatever they want to decide on. But I mean, ideally, these Facebook groups could could become obsolete one day and not needed, right? Ideally, we could uh, tr have more and more of these local in-person things happen because as you know, people are so much more blessed if they can have face-to-face -face interactions, right? It's just not quite the same quality online. Um, so anyway, uh, those are some of the things that we want to get going to kind of take it to the next level. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, to participate in practicing the skills of Zion uh, with people who, who want to do that with us. Um, I, I like uh, I like what you said in one of your podcast episodes, the the lyrics from uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah. You know, uh, sail on, silver girl, sail on by. Uh, your time has come to shine. And I just think we all deserve to, we need to, we need to elevate one another and honor one another and make sure that we all have a place at the table to invoke my restoration table uh, imagery. Um, and I think we just really need to bring down the walls, um, not make each other out to be monsters. For those who have seen the movie Smallfoot, you know, at the end of the movie Smallfoot, you have the, you have the, um, the, the Yetis, you know, the Bigfoot, and then the human beings. And throughout their whole lives, they were making each other out to be monsters. The human beings thought the, you know, thought the, the Bigfoot wanted to kill them. The Bigfoot thought the human beings just wanted to kill them with the guns. Um, but what it took was one human being and one Bigfoot to become friends with each other. And they were able to realize that, hey, we're all not that bad. And the human being, the, the human, he helped all of his other fellow human beings realize, hey, these big, big feet are, are not that bad, actually. And the Bigfoot, he helped all of his other fellow Bigfoot realize, hey, these human beings aren't that bad, actually, is what we're making them out to be. And at the very end of the movie, you see the Bigfoot and the human beings, they're on, they're on either side of the street from each other. And in big groups, they all walk closer together and embrace each other. And that's kind of the visual. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit moved here as I'm saying this. This is kind of the vision of what, of what, we just need to do in this world in the political sphere, the religious sphere. And I really hope uh, that by trying to practice these skills that we can achieve, achieve some more of that and um, really give each other the, the quality of life and the quality of relationships that we deserve, right? We deserve to, to live in loving relationships and we deserve to not vilify each other, right? And judge each other. We, we need to learn. I mean, I really think that's what bringing about the second coming is all about, right? Zion, Zion is not going to just be all members of the church, right? Zion is people from all walks of life who have this big disagreements, a lot of common ground, and we need to learn how to bring down those walls. And And uh, for anybody who would like to join us, um, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. So thanks for letting me uh, end on that note. Thank you, Tony. I'm really moved. And um, I think, you know, that our heavenly parents, as part of our mortal experience, 
wanted us to bump into complex issues to, to develop the skills that we need that we couldn't learn in a pre-earth life to come together as the same human family. I mean, thinking the beginning of time, I'm thinking of Jerusalem, which I visited, which is the center of Christianity, Judaism, and and Muslim, and or Islam, and just, you know, that that part of the world continues to be a center of conflict. Um, so somehow in the great plan of mortality, our heavenly parents want us to be able to be exposed to conflict to develop the principles we need to learn in mortality as part of our mortal, mortal journey that I think are important for our eternity. Um, I love the idea of um, belonging that you've talked about. Uh, President Ballard talked about that. And I think belonging is this idea that um, we feel welcome based on who we are and what we are and and versus fitting in as assessing a situation, becoming something you need to be in order to be accepted. And yeah. you're right, if you have a faith crisis, you're LGBTQ, it's pretty hard to feel like you belong because we generally don't say kind things about people that are LGBTQ at church or people that have faith crisis. So we need to learn to talk about those two groups in really positive ways because um, that can help them. Regarding um, stakes that have, you know, I get a lot of messages from parents of LGBT kids saying, we want to do something in our stake. What do you suggest? And the best things I'm seeing is, um, is something that's done um, and the area presencies of the times from what I've been told by stake presence of bless these are things called, you know, FHEs, family home evening in the home, not in the church. Um, LGBTQ, FHE, Allies Night. Um, I'm not aware off the top of my head of a FHE regarding around faith, but I think, you know, there are the senior leaders of the church don't really have a program. You're right, Tony. So the local leaders are worried about getting ahead of the brethren culturally yeah. um, because there's not a, a church-wide program. So most local leaders don't want to do anything, even though they feel there's a need here. Um, we're used to kind of doing things as leaders based on a program that church headquarters has rolled out. But um, so I think church headquarters will roll out programs. And I think there's a real desire for local members to have programs. These two you talked about, we're good at developing support for members. And these are just two sort of spots that have crept up on us. Um, but if episode 405 is the Long Beach East stake with Emerson first recent release stake president, and if you want to talk about healing, you know, that what he's done for LGBTQ members in his stake. And, and as you mentioned, they do have Allies Night and LGBTQ um, support group. And it's, it's just, you know, it's not required. It's just something that's open to any members of the stake. And people can just come because they know it's a safe place for allies to learn um, LGBTQ vocabulary and just learn how to, you know, be helpful in the space um, and and LGBTQ FHE, which is actually for LGBTQ people to, you know, find support within the walls of the church and how to move forward. So I, I like those. Um, episode 405 is really moving because unknowns to President Fersh, at the end of that episode, I got the idea to patch in a few tributes to him from um, three LGBTQ members of that stake, as well as a current bishop. And if you want to see the fruits of, of that ministry, um, you can listen to those men and how much Emerson Fersh and that stake 
you know, healed and created a feeling of belonging. One of those young men, um, Scott Osmond, who's gay, is now in the stake young men's presidency. <laughs> and I'm thinking if I'm a, if there's a closeted kid in that stake, um, what kind of a message does that send to him or her that, you know, people like them have a place in this stake? And, and I think that, yeah, that's part of the belonging that President Ballard is talking about. It's the practice that you're talking about is how do we take a theory or a talk like President Ballard and put it into action and develop the practical skills to do it, which the restoration table is doing it in real time because you see it being done on a practical level. So that's one of the reasons I like the group and I like your work. We'll link to your YouTube video. Um, and we just, you know, we're going to also have a podcast listeners. I wanted to mention this. We don't usually announce upcoming podcasts in case like it never happens for some reason, <laughs> but um, I think you, in a, you know, sometime after this podcast is released, you're listening to probably in the next week or two, we'll have, um, Dason Harker and Tyler Smith. Um, Dason is Taylor, yeah, Taylor Smith, yeah. Taylor Smith and Dason yeah. Harker, yeah. I've got those backwards. Um, one is a um, Dason is a former Latter Day Saint, and Taylor is an active Latter Day Saint, and they're both members of Restoration Table. And two men that I've I don't know personally, but as I've seen their work in your group, uh, they're ridge, real bridge builders, and I'm yeah. looking forward to having them on the podcast to further talk about practice. Um, in real life and about how we do this. And um, just a note, um, I wanted to reference a podcast we just released. It's episode 409. It's with two men that are gay Latter-day Saints that both are, they're getting married to each other. And I wrote here in the description of this podcast, you know, why we understand this path is outside the doctrine of our church. I hope these good men are not outside our love and support. This episode is about how, how to come together and our differences as the same human family, reduce divisiveness and show love and support. And one of the questions I asked on the podcast to these men, because both men um, no longer participate in the church, but come from very active Latter-day Saint families, I said, do you want your parents to leave the church um, sort of with you or because you don't really have a place um, given the path? And they said, absolutely not. You know, we recognize it brings them great joy. And I just thought of the grace of their answer. Um, and and so let's extend the same grace to these men. Yeah, we all know, you know, just like I said, um, but it's sort of back to practice. What do we do in a real-life situation when these two men self-determine this is their their path forward? Um, and so, that, you know, that's a little bit about that podcast and two good men that um, – and so we're all the same human family listeners, and I'm just going to turn it back to you to see if you have any final comments, Tony, before we sign off. Well, yeah, the Dason and Taylor are awesome. They're both on the admin team. And um, I just had one other thought. You know, another example of a great bridge building post that we had in our group is there's somebody who's uh, recently left the church, and um, their brother was sealed in the temple. And um, they, uh, he was just talking about how that was, it was hard for him to not be able to be there at the temple with his brother, but he was there outside babysitting all the grandkids while everyone else was able to be in the ceiling. And he's a really great guy. I know him. And um, for multiple reasons, he, he has left the church, but uh, he was just talking about how um, he didn't feel bitter. He was just loved his brother so much and his family. And he, on the post in the group, he put a picture of his brother and his mom 
embracing as his brother came out of the temple and they're so happy. And um, he was just talking about how he loves him so much, you know, despite how hard it might be hit for him right now to not be able to be in the temple. And um, that post got more likes on it and more hearts than any post we've had in the last four or five months. Um, and I think it's just great to get a window into to different people's lives and experiences. Um, I, maybe it's just a selfish thing. I just love it. I love learning new things that I didn't know before. I love meeting new people and we can only benefit from, we can only benefit. It doesn't need to be threatening to us. We don't need to feel like it's threatening and it, it, does, it doesn't, I, I just think we need to be able to learn how to hold healthy boundaries, right? And just say, okay, that's them. That, that is what they're doing. That doesn't need to bleed over and change how I feel. If we eventually feel like it, you know, the things that we learn and the people we meet does does change our paradigm. Um, I think that can only be for the better, right? Um, the restoration is ongoing. Our, our personal progress in our life is ongoing, right? And I, I just think we don't need to be afraid like you talked about, right? Um, we... We, 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 we can only learn and grow the, the more people we bump into and the more ideas we bump into. So um, anyway, it's just been really great to be on here again with you, Richard. I, I really appreciate getting to know you and um, your, your listen, learn and love um, embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints book is going to be uh, one of the books we also have in our book club coming up here. And I just recently finished that about a month ago and um, so much, so much good stuff in there that you packed in there. So I know that's going to be, that's really beneficial for a lot of people as well. And, I appreciate you uh, letting me share this and uh, being able to connect with your listeners. And I hope to see some of them out there in the future, be able to interact with them. So thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tony Fieldson and check out, I encourage you to check out and become a member of restoration table and just learn the practice of coming together as the same human family. So this is Tony and Richard signing up on another episode of listen, learn and love. <laughs>